Page fright is recorded in Vancouver on the traditional territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh First Nations. Welcome back to Page Fright. My name is Andrew French. I'm on Twitter at the Andrew French, and this, of course, is the only literary podcast that I host. I am, as always, very excited about today's episode, but just up front, if you're listening to this at a later date, it is, as you may have noticed if you've listened to a few of these sequentially, a episode that is recorded virtually as a result of this COVID pandemic quarantine thing that we're going through. It means I can't get in the studio with writers right now, but it does mean that we can conduct these interviews a little bit more frequently, so we're doing some weekly episodes right now. Um, On that note, I hope everybody is staying safe at home. It's super important right now to be sort of self-isolating and social distancing and all of these things. It's a little bit isolating, but it also influences how we work as writers. That's something that Lauren and I talk about today. Uh, Lauren is the first guest that I have not just decided on my own, hey, let's have on the show. This was a recommendation that I have Lauren on. The recommendation came from past guest Kyla Jamison. Shout out to Kyla. Thank you for that recommendation, because running into Lauren's work has been an absolute delight. If you're wondering who Lauren is, Lauren Turner is a disabled poet and essayist, author of The Only Card in a Deck of Knives from Woolsack and Wynn, just came out, 2020. It's what we're talking about today. She wrote the chapbook We're Not Going to Do Better Next Time from Knife Fork Book in 2018. Her work has appeared in Grain, Arc Magazine, Poetry is Dead, Cosmonauts Avenue, The Puritan, Cantheus, and elsewhere. She won the 2018 Short Grain Contest and was a finalist for the 2017 Three Max Carte Blanche Prize. I could not be more excited to be sharing today's interview. Here I am chatting with Lauren Turner. So I'm chatting virtually with Lauren Turner. Lauren, how's your day going? Pretty good. Quiet. How about you? Quiet. Um, as I said, it, it's been a busy morning for me, but um, I'm excited to sit down and talk poetry. Um, you have a book coming out. Am I right? It's coming out soon. It's not out yet. That's right. Uh, it's coming out with Wilsack and Wynn. Um, we're hoping to still have it out for May, but since they print at Coach House and Coach House is currently closed because it's a non-essential business, we're not 100% sure if it's going to be able to come out in time, but fingers crossed. Awesome. Yeah, fair enough. Um, The book is called The Only Card in a Deck of Knives. That's Uh, right. I haven't had a chance to look at it yet, and I'm sure a lot of people will be in the same boat when they listen to this. So could I get you to read a poem right off the bat for us so that we can get acquainted with your work? happy to. Sweet. Okay, I'll read one that's from the second to last section. Uh, And it was inspired by my friend David Bradford's chapbook called Call Out which is one long poem, and I really like the form that he used, so I kind of mimicked it to write my own poem, so I thought I should give him some credit before I read it. Cool. Okay. It's called Choose Your Own. I met a man at the tip of my tongue. He didn't care for what I was saying, or he found my fervor intriguing for a time, measured in the mechanics of streetlights, Nocturne tumbled from my hands like unkissed dice, or evening took forever to settle the windows into mirrors. I revealed the tumors puncturing my breasts, 
Or I told carefully minted stories, my magnificent lies. Life is everyone's fool, I flirted. Or I asked, I'm dying, is that interesting to you? The bar built worlds on wagers, patrons, a liquid lineup of postures and hues, chemicals in rainwater. Or I was puritanically sober, my hollowed out eyes blinking above an oxygen mask. The man was a shot I threw over my shoulder. Or the man was shot through by my tenderness because I cultivate heavy softness for my knives to pierce later on. His many hopeful balloons began hampering me with the responsibility of their care. Or I gave willingly my psyche's launch codes while crying out, why, 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 the hell not. Immortal with self-destruction, I was the best woman for non-committal pledges, made salient by liquor and unlikely fruition. Or strangers meant every word, cradling my wrists in gold nooses like lambs led away. Shadows were billowing across doubt's nooks, but when that man stood me to dance, I did. Very cool. Thank you so much for sharing that. <laughs> um, can I ask, how would you describe your writing style? Um, mostly poetry. Uh, I never used to write about anything even remotely to do with myself, but I got kind of a scary health diagnosis almost three years ago, and suddenly it just became really pertinent to me to, to write poems more ingrained in that experience and kind of the process of dealing with those feelings. So I don't, <laughs> I kind of am very resistant to the label of like confessional poet, but I guess if you're going to break it down, that's probably the closest thing it lines up with. Interesting. What were you writing about before you started writing about yourself? Well, I did a, a master's degree at Concordia, and my thesis, which I planned on making into my first book, was um, <laughs> it was a modern version of Samson and Delilah set in Montreal, and ended oh, cool. up, yeah, um, but I guess the health stuff at a certain point kind of eclipsed that project, so I ended up just turning it into a chat book that came out with Knife Fork Book in 2018. Um, and I guess, too, when you're trying to write a first book, you don't really know what you're doing. So instead of, like, thinking, oh, like, it's such a failure that I can't turn that into, like, a full-length collection, it just it felt like more of a success as a chapbook. So it's a good way to, to think of it in a way that feels, like, positive and, like, I met my objective in the end. Yeah. No, I think that's really fair. The, the chapbook was We're Not Going to Do Better Next Time, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So that was with Knife Fork in 2018. Mm. I haven't actually had a chance to read it, but I'm eager to. Um, <laughs> that's okay. As well as the new, the new book as well, um, because it sounds so cool. Um, but I think you're right. A lot of people will kind of beat themselves up if they like don't finish a full length project or something that started out as one ends up as something else. Um, mm. But I think there's a lot of value in like things ending up in the form that suit them best. Um, and that sounds kind of like the experience you had with with this project. Yeah, totally. And also when I was doing like my master's, I was like, I started it when I was 23. And at that point in your life, you're changing so much from year to year that I guess it was hard to write a project 
fast enough. So I still, um, I still like agreed with the poems I had written when I was 23 as opposed to 26. So yeah, <laughs> it just made more sense, I guess, to to wait. What uh, what advice would you give to a 23 year old writer? I turned 23 two weeks ago. <laughs> oh wow. Um, I think just to take yourself seriously, just to like to believe in your own abilities, and it doesn't uh, it doesn't matter what other people tell you about what you're doing, and just have to have like um that own your own confidence in it, because I guess like going through the master's program you you meet different people uh, who are either really receptive to your work or they're not. And I think for a while I was really, really preoccupied in what other people had to say about my own writing. And at a certain point you realize that sometimes that is helpful and other times it's just not constructive. Yeah, and I think it's difficult too as a writer, like at least from what I can tell, it's so isolating. I was talking about this with my last guest so isolating being a writer because a lot of the time what you write doesn't see the light of day or even when Mm -hmm. it does especially in the poetry world doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get a ton of eyes on it um and so a lot of the time the only interaction your work gets with other people can be rejection slips (laughs) and Mm -hmm. it's very easy to get down on yourself uh so I totally I mean it seems like that's really good advice because uh it's super easy to get down on yourself as a writer um I'm wondering, uh, well, I'm not wondering, actually, my last guest. I have a question for you from my last guest. Sure. Um, they are wondering, because we're recording this episode virtually, both because you're in Montreal and even if you were in <laughs> Vancouver or I was in Montreal, we wouldn't be able to see each other because we're yeah. still in the COVID stuff. Um, so this will be coming out in like a couple weeks um, mm-hmm. and hopefully, you know, things are a little better then, but who knows. Um, but my last guest is wondering if in isolation you found yourself writing more, reading more, or just stepping back from writing? That's so interesting, because you had also asked me to come up with a question for your next guest, and that was the exact same one that I wanted to ask them. And I guess oh, no kidding. Like, yeah, it's just like all anyone's thinking about right now. It's just the weight <laughs> of that. It's like impossible to escape. Um, yeah, it's definitely tough to avoid. Yeah, no, for, for me, though, I work with a full-time job, so I only really write and read on the weekend. So it kind of, I've been able to keep the same structure, but I wonder if that's just because I have the enforced structure of the job. So mm. I'm just, like, trying to maintain as much normalcy as possible. So it's it's very strange to still be doing, like, what you would do on, like, I guess a quote-unquote normal month with like a pandemic looming all around us and the fact that we have to stay inside and can't hug any of our friends and everything now is just being done over Skype or Zoom and um, everyone's trying so hard to feel connected. Well, um, it's just very difficult because you don't have any of the in-person stuff that you usually would. And yeah. I guess you, like, you live with like roommates or a partner. <laughs> No, totally. It's it's a really, really weird time to be alive and a really, really weird time to try to be a writer right now. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's so wild. Um, I want to talk a little bit about your poetry. Um, I've read a couple of the pieces of yours that have been published online. And um, from what I can tell from the blurb about the only card in a deck of knives, um, it seems like you'll have some similar sort of content coming out in this next book. Um, And so I'm wondering a little bit, uh, your publisher in their blurb um, 
says within these poems, Lauren Turner aims to reclaim the hysterical label given to sick women throughout history. Rather than shying away from the emotional urgency and raw vulnerabilities surrounding a terminal diagnosis, Turner shines in interrogative an interrogative light upon it. Um, this sounds like, <laughs> and and I don't know if this is true, but and I and I would like you to push back at me if I'm wrong because I don't want to impose this on you. But sure. it sounds like what you're writing about is is very difficult content to work with and and dwell on um, for the length it takes to write a poem. Um, could you talk a little bit about that? <laughs> Yeah, totally. Um, well, like I mentioned, I, a few years ago, I guess it was like April 20th, 2017, I was told that I have an illness called lymphangiomyomatosis, which is a respiratory illness. Um, mostly it's just called LAM because the actual illness name is such a pain to say. <laughs> um, and like the simple explanation is like progressively over time, it decreases your, your lung function and leads to lung failure, which obviously it's very heavy and it's hard to have, uh, I guess, like daily conversations about that and just very cognizant that sometimes it makes people uncomfortable. So poetry was a good space to really uh, explore my own feelings about it and like what I was thinking and kind of work them out without just constantly having to, to turn with like friends, to, to like turn to friends or my partner just to, um, have these really like heavy conversations about everything I was going through so I guess in a way the book is kind of a conversation with myself and coming to terms with the diagnosis and I did also make um, a really conscientious choice to try to write it as quickly as possible after the diagnosis just to kind of write it from that fever pitch that I was living in yeah (laughs) I mean I think it was a good choice creatively which is it's kind of hard to talk about something from your real life and be like oh yeah I just did this for my art but it was very much a decision that I made but that in turn made it hard to edit the book because a lot of what I was writing about I just feel very like far removed from those emotions and that like very particular mentality that I was living in. Mm-hmm. Yeah um, so it sounds like maybe this was a therapeutic thing to write through for you. Mm-hmm. Um, I find that a lot of the people I've spoken to who have had diagnoses that have been difficult for them uh, turn to writing as a way to to really work through it. And so it's really interesting to see this. And I, I'm really excited to read this book um, because it sounds so cool. Thank um, you. Yeah. Um, and speaking of, this is a horrible transition, but speaking of reading, okay. <laughs> um, I was wondering if we could turn to our poem roulette for this episode. Uh, so could I get you to read a random poem? You've, you've selected one already using the poetry and voice thing. What, what poem do you have for us? I did, yes. I have a poem by Sylvia Legree, who I haven't heard of before, but says that she is from Winnipeg and she's now based in Saskatoon. And the poem is called Four Marked by Claws and Cloudburst. Very cool. Yeah. The calendar marred with birds, and you are kick-kick-kicking all the way into June. 180 days scratched with black X's and crow's feet. Bird of two minds, good and evil, good and evil. Single-minded bird plotting the sky. Birds, notorious birds, ruffled feathers and fiendish. Rain-diving ducks, rain-murderous blackbirds, Hollowing and 
hollering from sunrise to sunrise, long day after longest day of ring-striped sky, sun eclipsed by feathers, blue-black, bruise-black, and tinged-chinned half-moons under your eyes, beleaguered just by thoughts of countless birds, prospects of an entire summer riddled with peck marks and quills, even under closed eyes, birds four stages of sleep, each one soaring you deeper and deeper into raptor psyche, Cooper's hawk, red-tailed hawk, black-shouldered kite, keep, 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 getting sleepy, sleepier. <laughs> Very cool. I really like that poem. Yeah. <laughs> um you mentioned earlier uh, that, you know, in terms of writing and reading and, and staying connected to that sort of thing, maybe yeah. this isolation hasn't taken a huge toll on your routine. Uh, so I'm wondering who or what have you been reading recently? Um, honestly, I've been, I think the routine is the same, but like the mental energy and the emotional energy required to to get into the routine and make the routine happen. It just feels like everything's taking a really long time just to complete. Yeah. So I have been reading, but very slowly. So okay. recently I finished Fawn Parker, who's a Montreal writer. I read her novel Set Point, which I really enjoyed. Oh, cool. And also based on a recommendation from Rebecca Salazar, I read Joelle Barron's Ritual Lights, which is a book of poetry that came out from Ice House a few years ago. Cool. Yeah. Very interesting. Do you find the stuff that you read uh, has a huge impact on the way that you write, or do you find that it's somewhat separate? Oh, no. I think <laughs> maybe especially a few years ago, I used to feel a bit like a sponge, that if I was read a bunch of work by the same poet, that like kind of innately was starting to pick up a little bit on how they, they wrote, either it was like the vocabulary or the rhythm or just the style. So if I'm working seriously on a book, I have to kind of curate what I read just to keep everything kind of in alignment. So if I read someone who's really experimental, um, my, like uh, my writing doesn't go that way too, just for the sake of consistency. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's fair enough. I think I'm actually kind of the same way. There's like a bit of a border I try to build between my reading and me, but for the most part, I like to think that if I read everything in the world, I'll be able to write anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I have a lot of friends who, if they're like they're working on poetry, they can only read prose. Oh, really? To, yeah, just to make sure that the writing stays, like, I guess pure isn't a great word, but, like, um, kind of devoid of outside influences as much as possible. Right. Interesting. I don't know if yeah. I've ever heard that before. That's fascinating. I don't know. I, it's, like, it's hard for me because I kind of relate for, to it, but then I also think that poets are so influenced by other poets that it's just impossible to keep your writing free of those influences. And I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing to have your poems be in communication with other poems I kind of like that yeah no totally I, I think I'm I'm the same way um do you write anything other than poetry like have you played around with other forms as well or are you focused mainly on poetry these days mainly poetry right now I do also write non-fiction essays um <laughs> although I do like 
the kind of the like you can have more privacy or more boundaries in poetry which I really appreciate just because of the aesthetic you can put like artificial walls up whereas if you're writing an essay it just feels like there's more pressure to be accurate or fully honest and you can't really necessarily shy away as much yeah no I agree I think especially with personal essays it's like there's a very big expectation for you to reveal something or, you know, show something that's very, very big. Like, I feel like there's a lot of pressure um, on people who write personal essays. It's why I've tried and failed so many times to do it. Um, mm-hmm. Is that I can never find the thing that I think other people would genuinely enjoy reading about. Like, I think they're very difficult to write. Uh, and that's not to say poetry is easy because God knows I'm struggling to write poems too. Um, but, but, uh, I, I think there's like a huge difference there. So it's interesting that those are the two, um, styles, I guess, or, or forms that you're writing in. Yeah, definitely. No, I know what you mean too, about essays, cause you can feel kind of self-conscious and it feels more like you're, you're marrying yourself to a certain viewpoint and that like has to be how you feel. Whereas poetry, if you have like a, a collection or a chapbook or like a series of poems, you can kind of approach the same thing from a bunch of different angles. And it doesn't have to necessarily be consistent throughout the the collection or like the grouping as a whole. And I kind of I like that ability to change my mind. <laughs> I just it just feels more like more freedom to it. Yeah. Do you, would you say there's a lot of that in, in the new collection that you've got coming out? Like, is, is there a lot of playing around with different styles and stuff? Or do you mainly stick to one way? Um, what, is the writing very, like, multifaceted and stuff? Or, or is there, like, a specific style that you're working in throughout the book? Uh, well, mostly it's lyric poems, but I do have two. I was calling them essays. Everyone else has their poems, so I guess <laughs> it depends depends who you want to, want to believe on that one. Um, I have two, I guess, like lyric essays, um, one closer to the front of the book and one closer to the end that I just, I put in, um, not as like their own section, but like as appendixes, um, mm. just to kind of be like a supplementary material to kind of contextualize the poems. Interesting. Um, That's a really cool yeah. idea. What, what gave you that idea? Uh, I love poems, but sometimes... I, I tend to go towards the long poems anyways, and at a certain point you feel like, oh no, this poem is going to be seven pages long, I may as well just turn it into an essay, so I feel like more I can get away with that, as opposed to trying to write a really long lyric poem, although I guess the book also has some of those. <laughs> that's so cool. Um, yeah, I haven't thought about uh, mixing in essays with poems, but that's a really cool idea for, for books. I'm sure it's been done before, but I haven't like encountered that that I can think of um off the top of my head I guess there are a lot of books that are sort of multimodal but there's uh I don't know that's a really cool idea I'm so interested to read this uh normally normally I've read the books before I interview people but it's kind of fun to do this the other way around uh (laughs) and to be kind of like hearing about things and then uh coming up with questions on the spot it's really neat um uh one of the questions I like to ask people who've done both which you now have um Mm -hmm. is how was writing the full-length book different from the chat book that you wrote Hmm. Honestly, when I was writing it, I couldn't really think about the fact that I was writing a book. I kind of had to trick myself and just take it one poem at a time, because I think it's easy to psych yourself out or get nervous. And if you're thinking about everything constantly as a collection, at least for me, 
I think there's a lot more room for doubt and just to think, oh no, like, is this actually going to work together? Is anyone going to want to read it? Like, what am I doing? Yeah. So, um, yeah, at a certain point, like, I think I tried to get to about like 60 or 70 pages and then I sat down with it and rearranged it in a way that I thought was going to maybe be good as like a first manuscript draft and then started to write more poems to fill in like the gaps that I saw. But I just... yeah I don't know I think Um, it's so personal how anyone writes a book and it's like it's a really fun question to ask people because some I know like other poets who don't don't have that kind of hang up they just they know what they're going to write as a whole and they just write it but it just I couldn't do that (laughs) (laughs) the uh last person I talked to said they finished reading or writing their book it was a book of poetry mm-hmm. and they probably finished it I mean it's it's just come out now in April it was Curtis LeBlanc is who I was talking to oh, cool. and um yeah and he was saying uh you know oh I finished my last book and I don't think I've written a poem in like a year mm-hmm. uh so I'm wondering when you finished your book has there been a hiatus from writing poetry or are you still um focused on writing that style yeah there definitely was too because it does take quite a while to get the book edited and just to go back and forth with your editor and and even like to the proofing stages it's a lot of back and forth and conversation so for me it was kind of hard to get my my brain out of my first book to be able to write stuff I guess for like a hypothetical second book um I had to get to like very very late in in the stages of it being very close to publication ready for me to even be able to start to write other stuff Hmm. That's really yeah. interesting. Uh, I haven't published anything, so I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> like I've published like pieces here and there, but I've not done a collection yet. I'm working on. Um, well, I'm a chapbook will be out this year that I wrote, but uh, oh, awesome. I haven't actually. Yeah, I'm very excited about it. Um, but I haven't actually gone through the like editing stage yet, so I don't know what that's mm. like yet. But I'm excited to experience it in like a microscopic format as a chapbook instead of a full length. Um, was the editing process very different for doing, you know, a chapbook to a full-length book or just longer? <laughs> I think, too, because every editor is different, like editor with, with Paul Vermees. And I really like his editing style because he kind of, he doesn't really do line edits. I guess he does to a certain extent, but he mostly goes at the poem as a whole and approaches it that way, which I really like as a kind of like a holistic way to, to look at what you're doing. Hmm. Um yeah it's interesting to me that um you know because I think there is a a big value to line editing but also to um to looking at poems as larger pieces like there's kind of these two levels on which poems operate right in that there is like that microscopic let's look at every word but also what's the focus of this poem what's the goal what is it trying to do overall um Mm -hmm. and balancing these two things in the editing stage I mean maybe you can speak to that maybe is that a difficult thing to do Oh, between, like, line edits and, like, assessing it as a whole? Yeah. I think it depends what you're looking for and what you find helpful. Like, sometimes for me, like, I'm sure you find this, too. Just you know a line isn't working and you can't figure out why. You really need those outside eyes to be like, oh, this is why it's not doing it for you. And then you can go in and fix it. Um, That's true. Yeah. Yeah. No, it is yeah, kind no. of nice to approach things in like a holistic way too, because then you get a good first glimpse on how like a reader might approach your poem and like how 
they would interpret it and then you can decide whether or not that was actually what your intention was or if it wasn't does it really matter and you need to like go in and change stuff or are you okay with that yeah no it's it's interesting to me how people edit their projects Mm -hmm. uh, because it's such an important stage of, of the book writing process and uh so many people do it so differently it's it's always fascinating to me yeah definitely um we are approaching the end of our episode which is very sad <laughs> um but i am wondering if you have a question i know you already had one that was taken do you have another question i can ask to my next episode's guest oh geez um well the question i wanted to ask had two parts okay um <laughs> i like the first part was very similar to what you asked me i had uh, how has our collective and enforced social isolation impacted your writing practice? And what emotion comes up for you when you share your answer? Ooh, I like that second part. So your like therapy session-y, but... <laughs> no, I dig it. It's fun. Um, how, so, okay, so you said that your writing routine was not tremendously impacted, maybe some mm. slight changes here or there by all of this um so when you told me that or if I ask you that again what emotion comes up <laughs> I think relief honestly just to be able to have consistency amongst all of this because I like I know that's important and it's just I like very much it does feel like the ground is just like shifted from under us so substantially that it's really hard to feel like stable or feel like things are still the same or like like to find like safety in like routine and what else is going on in your life. So I think it is like a big relief for me to like to have my weekend still and be able to just like have coffee in bed and like work on a poem or read my book. It just feels like that consistency makes me feel safe in a way. But obviously the world right now isn't making any of us feel particularly safe. <laughs> it's true. So it's nice to have things like writing that you can return to that do make you feel safe or provide yeah. that sense of relief you're talking about. Totally. Um, we are at the end of our episode, so I'm wondering if I can get you to read one more piece to send us off with. Totally. Sweet. Okay. It's called Rooted Too Long in a Single Spot. Over ice lattes, I tell T my fear you're turning violent and feel ashamed even though threats only escalate to certain heights before breaking me like a wave. In English, we speak of broken things as points of relief. A broken fever, break the ice, broke the spells we sat under. I worry this logic applies to women, that we're a cohort of Kitty Genovese, steps from home, and never safe enough. You know what tracks I make, kept every habit as I have. When the world snaps shut, I'll have meted its trap in years. Does this poem read as an admission of guilt? It doesn't matter. My only regrets are coded words I spoke to women about women. I lay a hundred lilies down for every friend I called brave or traumatized or broken. Descriptors to mask who drew the arrows like deer cleaved by a dense fog, throats torn to their opaline bones. Cut it out. Feminized language has no place in blood sport, whether we lose or lose. Abuse narratives grow mangled when I can't keep mine straight. Ivy taking back homes, making homes 
from ivy. Without context, the dangerous are only men who expect the doors they knock to open. I could plead for better, but you know I can't speak. That's so cool. Thank you so much, Lauren, for of sharing course, that and you. for chatting with me today. I really appreciate it. Oh, no. Thanks for having me on. I had a very nice time. There you have it. That was me chatting with Lauren Turner. Lauren, thank you so, so, so much for your time. I really enjoyed chatting, and I'm so glad that we got the chance to meet, albeit virtually. Um, thanks again to Kyla Jameson for recommending that I speak with Lauren. Um, I had a lot of fun doing that chat, so it was a really, really cool conversation for me and a, and a good opportunity to talk to another really cool writer. If you like what I'm doing here, if you like this show, it's super easy to make it official. All you have to do is subscribe. You can rate the podcast as well, um, no matter where you're listening. I'm pretty sure there's a way to do that on, on essentially every platform. So subscribe to the show. Um, you can also check out theandrewfrench.com. I'm always posting our newest episodes there. And anchor.fm slash pagefright. Everything's posted there too, all of our new stuff. Um, so yeah, you can check all that out as well. But that is about everything that I've got for this episode. Um, I hope everybody's staying safe out there. It's a bit of a weird time right now, as I mentioned off the top of the episode. So stay indoors, stay apart, but stay safe, and keep reading. Um, this has been Page Fright.